so continuation of conversation we tried to have where we were sorting out the men's issues with nihilism and all of all of that mm-hmm. and so like i said i talked to talked to mr jackson today he's a psychology associate holds a master's he's more of a freudian and he agrees that yes nihilism is a problem yes disillusionment disengagement and demoralization is there and that leads to the impulsive what would you say hedonistic imp- hedonistic pleasure impulsive pleasure seeking sex addiction porn addiction substance abuse anxiety depression anger existential dread all of that and we when we were talking about it you challenged me on it being nihilism being a symptom of a larger problem and we talked about men isolating (coughs) does that sound like a reasonable recap of where we left off yeah uh so yeah we had that conversation and it was like so nihilism is nihilism the symptom or the cause and that's the driving question and i think the rudimentary response that we kind of concluded was something like isolation we we talked Um, about isolation jackson thinks that there's something deeper in there and that it's something like what it means to be a man is completely different than what it was 30 years ago 50 years ago 100 years ago because society and technology and everything has rapidly changed to where you know traditional male what it means traditionally to be a male is not the same thing as what it is now it's something like that well i mean i would say I would just go back and just change the, the aperture further, right? The the for most of human history, we had a singular a singular idea of what it meant to be a man, and we had a singular idea of what it meant to be a woman, and that was based off of really I would argue the reproductive nature of and again this is like ninety five percent of society. Right. Um, we're not going to count like shamans. We're not going to count that type of thing, right? We're just gonna count the basic society that people operate in um and so i would go further and just say within the last we'll say maybe three to five hundred years it's changed there are some external factors which have caused that change right because again like we're, we're, we're going into a less of like a really arduous space into more of a less arduous space right more cognitive draining space more industrialization stuff like that where the definitions of kind of what it is to be a man or this like and i'll maybe loosely say something like the idea of requiring men's strength like the physical strength has changed a lot um and again this is a lot more going on like there's a lot of external factors with with civilization as it's changing but really we start to see kind of these changes 
And with within the last three to 500 years, especially with the rise of banking, with the rise of using leverage, with the rise of um, industrialized societies, um, we start to see men's relationship in the world change. And it no longer has this strict one-to-one the type of thing of being in this is kind of a this is in some cases a stereotype because it's been proven that women do hunt in, in some of these societies it's more of like men were the hunting the ones who went out and did things went out in the unknown to build or something like that whereas the women were kind of seen as the 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 home builders the economy of the home and so what's happened in the last you know part of human history that's actually influenced this because again humans have rapidly changed in the last 500 years based off of our lifestyle and based off of what we eat based off of everything to where we are now and and i don't want to get too bogged down in in you know the i would prefer not to get bogged down in you know the feminist aspects like feminism and what that has done to men um what society as far as like gender roles has done to men lately uh what the internet has done yes it's all played a part but it's also in the grander narrative of human history humans were relatively the same for a very large period of that well what changed and how quickly did that change happen and how is evolution not keeping up i think it, it well i think it really speaks to the evolution of technology i was having this conversation with uh, some of the nurses today and this is what it seems like to me because everybody was kind of complaining about um our supreme court system and so that kind of tells you politically where some of these folks lean and i've tried not to get into the political argument but it, it begs to it's like I try to explain to them when the Supreme Court was put together in the late 1700s, if I'm not mistaken, the average lifespan was what, like 40, 45, 50 at, at, at the latest. That was the longest people lived because life was uh, extremely brutal. In some places, yes. In other places, no. In the West, no. Uh, I mean, the concept of grandparents actually came around with um, particularly the Puritan culture um, because of the community and stuff like that. Like, you know, like grandmothers were really more prevalent. Um, I would, I would say it is kind of a stretch to say people died, you know, lived these short lives, like 40 or something like that. Yes. They had more, they had a higher chance of like infections and stuff like that and dying that could potentially do that. The overall, though, like the overall lifespan still remain relatively consistently the same, like 65, 60, 65. Um, I mean, Adams was, I think, well into his 80s. Right. Adams and Jefferson were right. well into their 70s and 80s. I want to say died. that, I want to say they were kind of outliers statistically compared to everyone else. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Maybe because um, the, the main point I was trying to make, and maybe I, I'm not making it very well, but the main point that I was trying to make is that rapid technological advancement happened in relatively small, short amount of time. Like everything was, nature was absolutely brutal and trying to kill everybody up until about the 
1930s to 1940s. Uh, no, I would go before that. I would go. Nature was absolutely brutal in the feudal area. In the feudal era, um, era. Um, just because like we lacked, we lacked a lot of different things. Banking. When we start to see banking happen in a profound way, that's when we start to see how leverage, capital, um, other things like the economy start changing. Roles, men's roles in society starting to change um, from, again, like plowing or something like that, like hard physical labor type of jobs to more like here's banking, here's this, like here's other factors. I mean, there's some of those things that always existed, but now they're starting to become more and more and more like, and, and for the most part, I would say men were able to sustain some of this behavior, like their, their behavior through, you know, farming, through doing the hard things, through, through sailing in particular. Um, but then again, like there's this, this massive technological shift and that kind of coincides with finance markets that coincides with industrialization. Um, and that coincides with, I don't want to be careful how I frame this, but there is a co there was a, there's an interesting relationship to the family unit and how the family unit helps create both leisure time and longevity. Right. Um, right. But I would, but I would right. argue and you're, you're, you're right. I'm not going to denigrate your point at all. That's absolutely correct. That with leisure time, longevity and all that, because you're not as stressed because you don't have to kill yourself to, to produce food for your family and all of that. That that's absolutely true. But I, but I do think that with the advance in technology, we've also managed to artificially extend our life beyond what our typical lifespan would be yes. due to the advancement in, med in, in medical science, I would say, has definitely played a major role in that, too. Yes. And that was, again, that was 1700s, 1800s. Like, you start to see that become more and more and more. Um, and that idea, like, especially, like, taking the church's lessons from dealing with plagues and stuff like that and the the medical center of gravity changing to a more rational university type type thing right so men kind of go into this more mental you start to see them go into the more of a mental thing now again this is also like men will always still have there's still always be hard jobs right there's linemen there's uh there's plumbing there's stuff like that there will always be hard job, roofing, construction, and so on and so forth. I don't want to denigrate that and say that that's gone away. That's not. The, our society, though, has rapidly changed. And then it's not just that, but it's also our access to information, right? So, like, that's probably where I would now narrow the aperture further is our access to, to data and to information via the Internet. Right. And this is where the isolationism tends to come from because, well, like – well, okay, so what we're doing is a prime example of this, right? If if there was no internet, we would never have met. And if we had never have met, then we wouldn't be talking about this idea in this particular place at this particular time. I think... Yes, and now here's what I would say from our relationship perspective, right? We also met in person. 
This is true. Right. We took it upon ourselves to meet in person because it's that's important mm-hmm. versus just having a completely virtual relationship, which is fine too, you know, like whatever. Um, but typically I see the people, and this is my observation, the people I, I actually meet in person, mm-hmm. those relationships are stronger. Absolutely. They're better. And they're not as I don't want to say fragile is the right word. They're they're just much more resilient when I can meet someone in person and develop that relationship, even if it's over drinks or whatever the case may be, that's more useful. And what we don't necessarily have, and this is again, like, like kind of like it's, internet comes along in the two, early 2000s it's developed it's you know so on so forth internet hashtag fun um you know you start to get youtube and what is it U bombs world or something like that U bombs world like that's just dating me um <laughs> the predecessor to youtube well, listen listen if you didn't watch like cat videos or piss rope videos then you don't know like you didn't grow up in that like you know right two thousands and so right. or well e bombs world that was that was the primary uh, access point for like the Tourette's dude that used to run around screaming swear words and stuff like that that was right. yeah and, right yeah right. and it was also like piss rope or something like that where like somebody would tie a rope to you and then like they drive off as you were pissing and so like yeah anyway that's that. <laughs> uh, but but and, but I mean and, that but that's where I think that's where a lot of the isolation starts to begin and then you have the advent of social media well the the isolation begins with chat rooms right like chathouse.com chat rooms and you start to see you start to see predators use this sexual predators use this right and like this idea that you know you know you shouldn't this is important this is a theme right you shouldn't believe everything you see on the internet right right and so now you haven't met this person in real life. You don't know who, what they look like. It's a completely relatively anonymous, so on and so forth. And so then you have the rise of social media, social media platforms like MySpace, Facebook. MySpace and you start to see a more weird. interconnected world, which is fair. Uh, combine that with Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Vine, stuff like that. You start to see a, an ecosystem, a social media ecosystem that – that drives a different type and and maybe this is a way to frame it but a more feminine type of interaction with the world for example social reputation is more important okay i see where you're coming from yeah social reputation versus um so likes dopamine that type of stuff like you get your likes you get you know your whatever shopping online so on and so forth you have like really it, it 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 and this is why there's probably a lot more there is also a, a strong argument for depression in women too and, and stuff like that well, jonathan that heights laid that, jonathan heights laid that out for very clearly and so is uh uh delroy paul house with who did the research on the dark triad it's known that yep. it, hyper users of instagram tend to be more machiavellian narcissistic and psychopathic promiscuous in nature which I'm not here to judge anybody, but promiscuity is one of the number one markers for antisocial behavior because it's based on impulsive pleasure seeking, therefore, multiple sexual partners. And in males and females, it is a predictor for antisocial behavior and attitudes, which is associated with psychopathy to a degree because psychopaths are considered predatory parasites. 
Instagram because everybody's so they're so obsessed with their persona, right? It's because in the real world you are a persona, but it's a genuine reflection of you. But it also is a reflection of what society expects of you. That's why it's a persona. It's like when I'm at work and I wear my work clothes, whether it's a three-piece suit or a button-down shirt with a blazer, I am actively looking the part of a mental health professional. Therefore, that's part of the persona, but it is a reflection of who I am. But on Instagram, all it is is just an outward reflection of what society expects to see. So it's nothing but a persona, and that's what narcissists are. They're all persona with no self there it's like persona ego and a fragile little bit of a self that's why narcissists become aggressive is because when the ego feels threatened it's because the self is so fragile something like that and so and it's funny that you mentioned that it's a more feminine interaction right as far as stereotypically feminine because you're right social reputation is the number one thing and if you dare misstep or have the wrong opinion, you do get socially mobbed, and they come after you for, and they come after your reputation. And the, I would say the other thing, and this goes for both sexes, is if somebody slights you on the internet, you are more likely to engage in the fem, the feminine or the primary modus operandi for for women when it comes to aggression is social aggression, innuendo, rumor, and gossip, and re- reputation destruction. And that's males and females alike, and I would say that that's very characteristic of your social media mobs, like your Twitter mobs when they come after you for having the wrong opinion or something like that. Would you? Yeah. So is there anything yeah. that I laid out in there that you would disagree with or challenge? No, I don't disagree or challenge anything with that, and then I would just, I would just start taking it now in its natural progression forward and say something like, so we are uh, we're going to start looking at what men like how this relates to men so now they're forced into a, like they're i don't want to say they're forced right they start to become like they start to operate in this environment um social media is also i mean it you know attracting women dealing with that so on and so forth it's great it works um and then you also are, I would say, exposed to all manner of ideas without proper filtering. Um, and I would say without, and I would phrase that the appropriate way, right? And this is, we see this a marked shift in our own society because we now think everything is a direct democracy. It's not, right? It's just not. So when I sit here and say there's no more filtering, Right. There's no more like interpersonal dialogue. Right. There's no more like here's the ideas trickling through multiple people and stuff like that. And and kind of like trickling from uh, from infancy to maturity and letting the right ideas rise to the top like it was at the founding. Yeah, there's no marketplace. Yeah, there's no marketplace of ideas. If you find ideas you agree with, you can easily... There is a marketplace. There is a marketplace. It's just where's the marketplace now? And at what level is the marketplace? The marketplace exists, but now it's scaled to the infinite, like to the the highest level. Okay. Which is somewhere between national and worldwide marketing market right because now with the internet 
it's no longer like a tavern conversation on whatever topic to, you know, oh, that's a bad idea or that, you know, like someone says, oh, that's a good idea. Then there's a bar fight or whatever the case would be, right? It doesn't matter, right? There's none of that anymore at the lower levels, and it's not in it is not percolating in the right areas in the right in it's not being challenged anymore. So now you have people, right, who I'm just gonna use this as an example, and this is the the farthest example, who wanna come in and be like, Oh, I think I'm a dog. <laughs> How the fuck do you do that? That's a very valid right? point. I get I guess where I was coming at it with the idea of there's no such marketplace of ideas is it's something sort of like it's very easy to find an echo chamber online where you can find a bunch of people that agree with some ideas, yes, whether they're good or bad. Whereas in the real world, the marketplace of ideas is at the in lower interpersonal level. Like So for example, when we were having our conversation about the nihilism and isolation issue is I could go to another psych assistant um, – his name's Joshua Burnell, and if he's listening to this, that's going to be kind of cool. He gets name dropped, but he was looking at the issues that men were having and thinks that I had cottoned on to something because he always said, and I hope I'm getting this right, is, well, when I would take a look at the men's issues, I would go on Psychology Today, find articles, and we'd talk about it, whereas I'm actually thinking this through on a deeper level than that. But that's beside the point. And then Jackson, when I talked to him today, says, you know, the problem with thinking this as deeply as we're thinking this is how do we make it marketable to the other disciplines to try to facilitate a men's issues group? Because psychology, or at least myself and Jackson, both being psychoanalytically minded and existentially oriented, granted, again, he's more Freudian, I'm more Jungian. We don't need to really explain where that comes from. Um, it's like, okay, well... It's like the, the ideas are bouncing off and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to sharpen the idea and trying to slove off the, death, the dead wood that goes with it, right? We're trying to sharpen the argument and, and more precisely, def precisely define what the problem is. So, like, for example, I, I believe in the in the PowerPoint I shared, it's like this is a religious problem, but I'm using the Durkheimian and, and Freehoffian definition of religious is what you act out. And if religious is what you act out, then what we are seeing is men acting out a nihilistic existence because they act as if nothing else matters. That's why they're hedonistic, alcoholic addicted to drugs, porn addicted, sex addicted, anxious, depressed, angry, so on and so forth. Okay. So, so, so just to kind of begin, I, I, again, I'm not disagreeing here with anything. I'm just trying to, I think I want to move the kind of continue to move the conversation a little bit. Okay. Because so, so you have now this marketplace interaction like at the at the worldwide level and that's the highest level right because of the internet it's the internet of things so now anyone can say whatever there is and you can find echo chambers um or you, even your own search engine has a bias like because the way you ask questions is not always helpful uh, and so now because you're asking those questions, you're creating your own biases and your own search engine shows it. And then it, 
it starts to try to like whatever the case may be right uh confirm your bias through whatever superficial articles are being read right and on top of that there's just a lot right there's a lot out there like i can't keep up you can't keep up no one can in their right mind keep up um and that's not to say it's a bad thing or a great like in the it world just is. is it just is yeah even back in and i would say even back in you know the old days right there were certain things that you just couldn't contend with and i just had to scale and so that's okay and as we start to flush this out what i was to hear and say is something that looks and sounds like this with social pressures with access to these different areas and again like the 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 weight of these i would say varies based off of person to person but the key underlying theme is there is a sense of degradation and what it means to be a man or to act masculine in the world because of i think i'm going to use this unintended unintentional self isolation such and as i want to say unintentional because it's just the way the tools are happening right around us it's not something that we actually are leveraging appropriately right so so it, it's unintentional and it's just the way that you know, our environment is in today's world where we have access to all of these things right and so i would say one example of the unintentional isolationism is like video games like world of warcraft how many people got sucked into world of warcraft online or or starcraft or any of those games i would say the advent of online gaming yes the advent of online gaming gaming in and of itself still had good merits i mean granted you just weren't getting outside anymore (laughs) um but it still had merits because it still forced people well, to yeah. come together and to yeah. interact, right? Yeah, because like, if you're you know, Halo play- on multiple Xboxes and just sitting here playing Halo or Fusion Frenzy, and you know, like I have lots of memories. I, of that. I, I can, fine. I can go, I can even go further back. If you wanted to play Goldeneye, which was the first first-person shooter, that where your buddies got together, everybody still had to go to someone's house. So there was still yeah. interaction, even if it wasn't happening, like, say, going outside to play with your friends. Your friends were coming <laughs> over, but you still had that in-person interaction because I don't know how many times I argue with somebody for looking at my goddamn screen. But now with – Exactly, but, right. But, but, but you screen you screen looker. Right, but, <laughs> but you make a valid – but you do make the valid point that with the Xbox and stuff, even if you're still, like, through your headset playing with other people who have the Xbox, but – it's still that virtual relationship kind of thing, unless you know the person's. So in it's person. still a virtual relationship. That's the crux of it, right? There's still a virtual relationship. I haven't met any of these people in real life. I, I you know, I, I played Xbox for a while. I had some people who were friends, right? And that's okay. Uh, I would still classify them as friends. I just. I never actually met them or saw what they look like in real life. And they never also, they also continue to hide or behind an, an, anonymity. That's the right word I guess to say. 